You're listening to the Habitology Podcast with Melanie White, and today I'm talking about alcohol and mental health. It's such a topical area. A lot of people are exploring sobriety, grey area drinking, and alcohol alternatives. And there's also the issue of drinking and mental health. And this has really become apparent in the pandemic times, as I'd like to call them. So today I want to talk about how we think alcohol helps us, some of the physical and mental effects of alcohol, the longer term impacts of alcohol use and misuse. And this is some of the latest research. Who's most at risk of alcohol health issues? And this is important if you're a coach and you want to know the risk profile of your clients. And also some of the things that we can do to minimize the risk of alcohol use, especially when it relates to mental health. So I want to start by saying, let's face it, Australia has a drinking culture and I'm not sure if you know this, but our drinking culture and especially around heavy drinking started in colonial times. Back then our convicts were partially paid with rum and there was even a rum uprising and an overthrowing of the government at the time in about 1808, I think it was. But these days, most of us associate drinking alcohol with calming down and relaxing, unwinding at the end of a busy day, celebrating, going to the cricket or the footy, but also fitting in in social situations, feeling more confident and charming and more relaxed, less anxious. We might feel that alcohol helps us cope better generally with stress and anxiety, but the question is, is alcohol good for mental health? And how we think alcohol helps is that it's a depressant, so we think, okay, it's going to help me to unwind. Maybe it's going to help me manage my anxiety. And some people use alcohol to blunt their heightened emotions or their stress, and some people think it's going to help them to fall asleep easier. I remember speaking to somebody one day who said, I can't stop drinking because I can only fall asleep if I drink four beers every night. So it is really tempting to think that alcohol is helpful in those sorts of situations. But is it really? What you might feel is that alcohol is relaxing you, but it's actually doing the opposite in a physiological sense. There's overwhelming research on the effects of alcohol on physical health and mental health, and the news isn't so good. So in terms of physical health and our idea that we're relaxing with alcohol, not the case. A recent study, which was done in 2021, shows that binge drinking, as one example, increases something called muscle sympathetic nervous activity. So this is the fight or flight response in your muscles. It reduces rapid eye movement or REM sleep. It reduces sleep quality overall, particularly deep sleep. And it increases your morning after blood pressure and heart rate. So a simple explanation of that is that alcohol intake in the evening causes stress while you're sleeping. You might think that you're going to fall asleep easily after a few drinks, but the reality is you're going to be restless during the night. You might wake up between 1 and 3 a.m. and you might have trouble getting back to sleep if you've been drinking. Or you might also wake up with night sweats. And in a role that I have at the moment as head of growth at Philia Labs, I've certainly seen these sorts of results come out, 
coming up in some data collection studies we've done this year with participants who've consumed alcohol. The, the goal of the study was not to assess alcohol, it's to assess stress and sleep. But we noticed that for people that drank alcohol, even though they felt more relaxed after drinking, that was their perception. Actually, during the night, their heart rates were higher than non-drinking nights, and they had lower amounts of deep sleep on the nights they consumed alcohol. So our proprietary measurements definitely show those things. And then adding insult to injury, it's not just about the restless night. The fact is that during those sleeping hours, that overnight stress disrupts your body's natural rest and recovery processes that occur. And those sorts of things include physical recovery, for example, from sport or injury, blood sugar regulation, brain detoxification, immune system regulation, learning and emotional processing, and memory consolidation. So all of those things are affected by alcohol intake. And depending on how much you've drunk, you might also be waking up to the symptoms of drinking too much the next day. You probably know what that's like if you've had any alcohol before. It's that dry mouth, thirsty, pounding head, those sorts of things. Physiologically speaking, you're going to experience elevated heart rate, elevated blood pressure, sweating, irritability, mood swings, lower energy levels, reduced memory, poor focus and impaired work performance. So in other words, you're not just having a bad night's sleep or a disrupted sleep. The next day you're starting off behind the eight ball in a fight or flight state. So that's maybe one night here or there, but what if you're a regular alcohol drinker or if you're misusing alcohol, over drinking? Well, the research shows that alcohol use and misuse account for 3.3 million deaths each year. That's 6% of deaths worldwide. And that's a big number. We also know that mental health tends to have a reciprocal relationship with alcohol. And what that means is that people who are dependent on alcohol are more likely to have mental health issues. And people with mental health issues may drink to self-medicate to kind of numb those feelings of anxiety or stress or to temporarily feel happy. This was reinforced recently in a cross-sectional study of alcohol intake and mental health during the COVID-19 lockdowns. A study found that there were significant links between increased alcohol consumption and poor overall mental health, depressive symptoms and lower mental well-being. And longer term, mental health impacts can cause or can, sorry, can include increases in aggressive behaviour or in risky behaviour, self-harm, anxiety and depression. So while you think that drink might be calming you down, if you get into the pattern of drinking to calm down, it's actually going to have the opposite effect. It's going to potentially make you more aggressive, uh, take at-risk behaviours or become less mentally healthy. Of course, there are the other risks associated with alcohol intake, which can include having an accident and or injuring yourself or someone else, poorer job performance and therefore poorer job satisfaction, and of course, negative effects on relationships. 
So not to be a Debbie Downer, <laughs> but these are the facts. If you're using alcohol within the recommended guidelines, you might not experience those things. If you drink occasionally, you may not experience those things. But if you're drinking regularly, these are the facts. And then the question is, well, who is most at risk of alcohol-related harm or health issues? This is especially important to know if you're a coach and you're coaching people around um, alcohol or anything related to alcohol, which could include weight or energy, and people raise their drinking habits in the discussion. There are certain groups of people who are more likely to drink or may drink more and or are at greater risk of physical and mental health problems. In the US, the data shows that men are more likely to drink heavily or binge drink than women. Caucasians tend to drink more overall. People with higher socioeconomic status tend to drink more frequently. And those of lower socioeconomic groups tend to drink larger quantities of alcohol. One of the key risk factors for alcohol consumption and mental health issues in relation to that are include isolation. That's a really big one. And this was also noted in a 2021 study of alcohol consumptions during lockdown in the UK. They found that isolation was a cause of increased drinking and it was most prevalent in 18 to 34 year olds compared to older age groups. So it was obvious that these younger age groups were drinking more for some reason, perhaps to cope with the isolation. They also noted, of course, as mentioned earlier, that poorer mental health was significant, really, significantly related to increased alcohol intake versus no increase during the study. So for people who kept drinking the same amount through the study, didn't show any um, decrease in mental health. It was only those that were drinking more compared to normal. Also, certain work sectors are more likely to have high-risk drinking behaviours. Some of those include remote mine sites where you've got fly-in, fly-out workers who have multiple, multiple stresses like shift work and extreme environments. You could also say the same might be for certain uh, other types of shift workers, such as frontline healthcare workers, uh, people who are seeing um, harm and injury and, and those sorts of things to others and having to cope with those emotional challenges. People in managerial roles may also be at risk of drinking more and they may, there may be workplace drinking cultures where people feel uncomfortable. Definitely in the mining sector, there's been some studies done on who's most at risk. And although the workforce is predominantly male, it seems to make sense that males are more at risk of risky alcohol use and mental health behaviours but tends to be coming up more commonly in younger mining workers, smokers, people who are mainly working for the money and no other reason, people working in underground mining versus open cut, people with psychological distress or a history of anxiety or depression, and people with previous or other alcohol or drug problems. Even in city workplaces, this can happen too. There are certain industries and sectors where drinking is the norm. And I remember being in an office working next to a marketing company and their norm was to go out for boozy lunches with clients. And that happened every day. And I remember having a weight loss client who had that job and 
she stopped drinking for the period that we were working together and she got incredibly sick in the first few days as her body detoxified and got rid of all of that alcohol from her system. So it's something to be aware of that if you coach somebody who's drinking regularly and drinking big quantities, they may need to be working with a doctor at the same time to help them go through the withdrawal of alcohol. It may be outside your scope. So understanding how much somebody's drinking as a starting point is really important. So what sorts of things can we do? We know that alcohol intakes a cultural norm in so many countries. It's linked to a complex array of factors that can vary between person to person. Still, though, there are several things that we can do to reduce the impact of alcohol for ourselves and for others. I think one of the first things that's really important is education on the risks of drinking and binge drinking and also knowing what the recommended drinking guidelines are. Because if anybody is going to make any change, it always starts with a sense that something isn't right. So by learning about what's normal and recommended and comparing your habits to that standard it gives you that self-awareness so that you can figure out whether you have risky drinking behavior or not also those guidelines are things that you can share on social media or with people that you love and are concerned about or who have reached out to you for help so those guidelines are readily available and i'll include them in a link in this podcast in the notes so the second part of that is not just knowing what the guidelines are and roughly what you're doing, but really being self-aware of your drinking habits and the impacts that they're having on you. For example, if you're waking up hungover five days a week, maybe that's a problem. Or if you're drinking each night to unwind, but then you're not sleeping properly, you may not be drinking a lot, maybe only a glass but you might be very sensitive to the alcohol and as a result, not getting a good night's sleep every night. And sleep is a factor in up to 70% of people with depression in terms of the actual depression itself. Also, you're going to wake up tired potentially and a bit stressed, as I mentioned earlier. So your motivation might go down. So just being really aware of what you're doing in terms of your drinking and what the side effects are and the after effects are, it might just help you to get some idea of whether or not you need to make some changes and whether or not you need help to make those changes. You probably know that there are some various levels of support available. And as a coach, if you're working with clients around drinking, you need to know what these options are too. Alcoholics Anonymous is an association that most people are familiar with and this is probably something that anybody could attend but it tends to be a place where people with more serious and long-term drinking concerns go. Of course going to a doctor is recommended because a doctor can dig deep into that and make any medical recommendations that might be required especially if somebody's been a long-term drinker and they have comorbidities associated with that. Also, there are several health and wellness coaches who are specifically trained and offer support in grey area drinking. And this is the type of person who's not an alcoholic, but they're not a teetotaler. They're somewhere in the middle and they're concerned about their drinking habits. So there are 
several grey area drinking coaches around. Sarah Rusbatch in Western Australia is a leader in this area and she has a free community. I'll include a link to that. It's easy to refer someone to her for one of her drinking habit, um, drinking habits, one of her drinking challenges or some coaching. You can also ask a trusted friend or family member or a mentor or a colleague for support. And it's up to you to decide the level of help that you want. And it might relate to how concerned you're feeling. In the workplace, I've mentioned already that workplace culture is something that affects drinking habits. And that's another place that can support positive change. Because the fact is a lot of workplaces out there support, condone or totally endorse a drinking culture that can be really uncomfortable and create pressure for the people in the organisation who don't want to drink. If you're feeling like you want to make a difference at work, you can go to your HR department and ask them about different initiatives, maybe the opportunity to find ambassadors in the workplace and even to create a bit of a movement and get some support to change the workplace culture. As an individual, you have that option to go to HR and start those conversations. And if you're a business owner, you can review employee behaviour and social drinking norms and look for opportunities to better support your organisation. As an employer, you may not know that you are liable for the duty of care of employees and if you put on any sort of a work function that includes alcohol then you're required to provide safe transport home be that you hire a bus or you give cab vouchers or you organize lift sharing or whatever it is it actually becomes your responsibility as a coach you can support your clients to explore the initiatives that might work best for them but I guess whatever you do whether it's you or if it's your clients, I think it's pretty clear by now that by drinking less, you'll feel better for it, you'll look better for it, you'll have a better quality of life and you'll reduce your risks of chronic and acute disease. Drinking alcohol might seem to have benefits in certain situations, but really it's putting stress on your body that can impact your physical and mental health in the short term and in the long term. And there can be flow-on effects in terms of your work performance, career opportunities, relationships, and life satisfaction, aside from all of the health stuff. We know that there's a strong and reciprocal link between alcohol intake and mental health. So this has to be a concern, especially in such uncertain times now when mental health is at the forefront and many people are at higher risk of mental health decline. As I mentioned, self-awareness is always the starting point for change. So by being familiar with the guidelines and reflecting honestly on your own drinking habits, you'll be better equipped to know whether you need help, if you want help, what sort of help you might need, and what your opportunities are to make some positive and helpful changes. I hope that's been useful, and I'd love to know what you're doing to improve your drinking habits. Let me know. Thanks for listening. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and leave me a nice rating on Apple iTunes or any other platform that you're listening to. Thanks for being here and I'll see you next time.